guest hasn't showed up yet and um because it's already four i want to start a podcast um so i'm just gonna start anyway on the topic of what we're going to talk about and if he shows up it'll be able to roll seamlessly in and if he doesn't it'll be a solo rant um but the book is called the q loophole by uh by journalist uh, investigative journalist george webb uh, he came on here a couple weeks ago, and the Q loophole, as he points out in the opening sentences of his book, has nothing to do with the conspiracy theory QAnon, but rather the very real Q clearance under the uh, the DOE, the Department of Energy, which is the highest uh, highest uh, security clearance in the DOE. And just so I don't butcher it, let me get the exact wording up right now. And it is ba bum ba bum ba bum. Q clearance of the DOE is the is the top of is the top of security clearances for all restricted data within or as defined by the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. So it's all it's it's a bombs, chemical weapons, tippy tippy top kind of movie shit, and um, he calls the Q loophole uh, how we brought more than just uh, the amount of Nazis that were originally planned. If you, if you, it's an odd sentence, but Operation Paperclip was, as I've beat to death on this podcast, the bringing back to the United States of, and I'm using the new camera, so I gotta sit back a little more, which is weird, because I like to get right up in front and yell, but in order to get the full shot, and I kinda gotta sit back like this, which I don't like. I like to fucking yell. Whatever. Um, fuck it. Do it live. We're gonna do it this way. Um, sorry. Sorry, everybody. Technical difficulties. But, um, whoever's listening to this podcast is like, Jesus Christ, dude, get your life together. So we brought back a ton of Nazis, namely Werner von Braun, the, uh, the head of the Apollo Moon program, who built, uh, was an engineer, and it's it's widely disputed whether or not he willingly, whether he was just drafted into the Wehrmacht, and had to, that was some nice pronunciation there. You see that the Wehrmacht? I don't know if I can do it again, but um, because a lot of soldiers were just drafted in, but I believe there was eventually revelation showing that uh, that he joined the SS like way before way before it was even like a war where people were being drafted left and right. It gets a little hairy. Um, but when it does come to uh, that rarefied air of, of pitting nations against each other, I think a lot of stuff is often, as I believe it was a Pentagon official said, like right after the war, uh, we need to stop beating a dead Nazi horse, saying that by no means did it mean let bygones be bygones, so much as it was like, Hitler iced himself. We've bombed the Reich into oblivion. We just nuked Japan. Now we need to start preparing for uh, for eventual confrontation with the Soviet Union. And um, so, because of that, we need to bring back these Nazis. Ideally, sure, we'd kill them all. Ideally, though, or not, I don't know. Let's walk that statement back. It was um, these guys have intellect. It was well, first and foremost. We know the Soviets got about one third of them, 
they I think they like they kind of went into their they got them I believe some uh, members of the Red Army if I'm recalling correctly went into like whatever main city a lot of them were in and um, got them like pissed drunk or something and then woke them up at like two in the morning still drunk like blacked out and got them and their families and put them on trains some beautiful irony there or some poetic maybe not beautiful no human suffering's great brought them back to the Soviet Union and uh, they went to basically the Soviet equivalent of uh, Area 51, which I can never remember the name of. And so let's pretend that didn't happen. Let's pretend that none of them were captured by the Soviets. And let's say we somehow got all of them in one room, just hypothetically. Ideally, this is how I originally saw it, was if we had them all in one room, we just would have shot them all dead and no one would have got them and we could have killed the Nazis. But we couldn't do that because in this thought experiment, at least one of them escaped and went to the Soviet Union. So now the Soviets are going to be able to get the brain power, which, which was a huge thing. It wasn't enough that we got the blueprints and the documents and even the pieces of the V2s from Nordhausen. We needed the brains on how to put these things together, which you can see now. I, I mean, technically, we don't have the schematics on how to build the F1 engines from the Saturn V. And it's because this, the labor and the skilled labor and the kind of, my, I might be speaking out of turn, but kind of like on the fly, impromptu kind of fixes they made <clears throat> was so niche and so um, narrowly defined that uh, that we couldn't put them, we couldn't build them today. It was just, so it's not enough that you have the blueprints. Sometimes you just need the brain behind it. Right. Like you'd want if you could have Beethoven alive today. I mean, would you, if we had Shakespeare alive today, like, would we be able to like I, I'm, I'm sure there is things in his writing that we never would have guessed. Um, fucking Shakespeare comes back. He's just a racist alcoholic, like pedophile. <laughs> He's just like my work means nothing. It's just all code. And we're like, oh, no. Um, but uh so we wanted to bring them, we wanted to bring them, and that was a big thing early on. But so let's just say in this thought experiment, there's a hundred of them. There's not, there's thousands and thousands. Let's just say there's a hundred of them. We have them all in one room during Operation Alsace, which was our intelligence, uh, Alsace, Alsace. Um, is that related to, was it Alsace, Alsace and Lorraine? Alsace, is that World War One? Was that Otto von Bismarck? I don't fucking remember. It was during, during our intelligence the, the the spoils of war go to the victors. When we raided Germany, what was the quote? And happy hunting to you all. Get fucking everything. Which was, I mean, it's the modern day, like, you know, you go in, you ice the Al-Qaeda uh, commander, and then you take all the hard drives. It was the 1945 equivalent of that. And so let's say there was just 100 of them. They're all in one room. At least one escaped and went to the Soviets. Now it wasn't enough that we had the blueprints and we could just shoot them all. One of them escaped the Soviets, meaning that the Soviets now had a leg up on us, meaning that we needed now to at least keep one of them. And because of that, it then became a, everyone can get the blueprint, we can, get, we can find copies, we can make copies. Now it's about getting the minds, getting the living, working minds. These guys that have been studying this stuff for 30, 40, 50 years. These things that you can't, that you can't just create out of nothing. 
these experienced engineers and brilliant German, I guess, physicists or rocket scientists, whatever the fuck it is. And so we had to bring them back to fight the Soviets. And now I could be just talking about this through the American lens. Because I'm pretty sure we started snagging them first before the Soviets. So we couldn't even say, well, we were going to kill them all, but then the Russians got one, so we had to get one too. I don't think that was even the case. I think maybe you could argue preemptively. We were like, let's take some of them back because what if we kill them all and then in two years we find out the Soviets got one? Like we can't be for sh- we can't know for sure that we got them all. Um, but you know, I I don't I think I'm being too generous with uh with the American mindset. I don't think it was some like our hands are tied. I think it was pretty much like this is intel. The war's over. They're as good as dead. We had them in, we had them in these like makeshift jails and shit. I think called like Ashcan. I think that was one of them. Ashcan. It was something like that. Somewhere in Europe, and it was like a five-star hotel, but it was like surrounded with like double razor wire. It had turrets and snipers. It was uh, right after, like right after Germany surrendered. Like in in my mind, at least, we kind of go from Germany surrendering to the Pacific. There is still some crazy fucking shit happening, like, right after Germany surrendered in Europe. But, um, yeah, we were holding these Nazis in these, like, in this, like, five-star hotel or four-star hotel or whatever, and apparently they're just total divas. They were Annie Jacobson's Operation Paperclip, which she writes all about. Apparently they were total divas. They were, uh, was it Goering or one of them was always painting his nails red, uh, and they would get mad at each other because, like, one would take really long showers or something. Uh, one of them apparently would always masturbate in the bathtub, like, and, uh, another one of them was just obsessed with just, like, Aryan features, would spend all day just looking in the mirror. I mean, these, these guys were, read Annie Jacobson's Operation Paperclip. You will never realize just how much, how much these guys were just children. And that's not to say that they're not, uh, accountable for what they did. They were very sober-minded and knew what they did. They're fucking psychopaths, and I, 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 it's disgusting we brought them back here. I also understand it. They're total children, though. Like, the point is, is we brought back a lot of them. And early on, it was very, uh, like, first we were discovering, like, the caches of, like, blueprints and rocket parts and stuff. And, um... You know, we always we always kind of hear it. We see it in Band of Brothers and shit. Like we always hear about like the liberation of like, or, like Dachau or like Auschwitz or Bergen Belsen, Kilmno, um, Auschwitz Birkenau. Um, was it Slobodor? Slovenor? It's just they're all fucking evil. And. Um, but we don't hear a lot about the liberation of Nordhausen, um, which was uh, which was in I think was it the Harz or the Sars Harz Mountain, um, which is where the 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 brothers Grimm all of their stories take place in those like German mountains, and it is like real life like terror like there was a concentration camp there like built into the mountains, but it's not as well known because it was. It was called Nordhausen. It was built into the mountains. It wasn't the normal kind of imagery you think, the, the gray sky, the middle of the field, the, the barbed wire fences. It was a factory inside of a mountain that was uh, safe from being bombed or couldn't 
couldn't have been bombed. It was protected by a mountain, much like Morad. But it's where they would, I think Annie Jacobson says, uh, uh, slaves and raw materials went in, bodies and V2s came out. Just some dark shit, but um, yeah. So we brought a, we brought a lot of them back, but early on we were just getting the blueprints and the pieces from places like Nordhausen, and um, we quickly learned that that uh, I think there was a uh, how was it? It was um, I think several of them, including von Braun and maybe Arthur Rudolph, were staying up in like a they're up in one of those not not quite the Eagle's Nest, but something like that. And they actually came down and like surrendered to the Americans, and they were like, "We." It's actually kind of eerily similar to uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. Like, I am your prisoner. Apparently, Von Braun came down and was just like smoking a cigarette, wearing like aviators, and was like, "I would like to talk to Ike." And they were like, "The fuck!" And it was just like M1 Grant pointed at him, but he was just. I mean, the egos were just, were just. I mean, they were they were gods in the Reich. So, I mean, they really looked at the soldiers. They're like, no, 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 no. And they, they were insulted if they had to talk to anyone less. The Americans and the OSS, the precursor to the CIA, played on that. And they were like, all right, go get a jet. And again, it's it's the bigger picture, which, I mean, that's, that's a whole other episode for another time. Mitzi and I went into it, uh, was that yesterday? Two days ago? No, no, Dr. Halpike was here. Two days ago went into the whole greater good, but not important. The Americans played on that, that they would open up if someone with, like, ribbons and medals came and talked to them. You can start to kind of see why the Reich fell apart, aside from the fact that Hitler was doing meth and, and you um, um, all in his bunker. But a lot of it was based on favoritism and cronyism, which kind of some are right now. But um, one of the things they would do is when they... There was one soldier who had been studying uh, Nazi propaganda films, or uh, an OSS agent back in the United States, studying them, like watching their films so many times that he could like recite them and like he knew facial features and stuff. Because right when the soldiers, when they would try to slip into like the the crowds of just the Wehrmacht, a lot of them would, um, you know, they would get rid of all their badges and stuff. They change their haircut. They do whatever. They'd shave the mustaches. They'd, they'd do all sorts of shit to blend in. And so this guy, who was, I think was part of a team, was tasked with like like learning all this shit, learning their little mannerisms, how they spoke, the speeches they gave. And uh, you know, Heinrich Himmler, uh, Rudolf Hess, Arthur Rudolf, uh, Adolf Eichmann, Mengele, von Braun, um, uh, Otto Skorseni, uh, Reinhard Galen, uh, all the other fucking evil ones, uh, Murring, number or Goering, um, Goebbels. The point is, is he learned all about them, and so when he went to when he went to I think Ashcan and saw them, they didn't know who he was. This is just another GI. He knew who they were, and instead of sitting them down and interrogating them. What one of them asked him was, it might have been, it was, I think it was the one with the painted fingernails. He's like, we have been treated so poorly here. It would, again, the irony of like them slaughtering six million in these concentration camps in the middle of fucking nowhere is just, but they're like, we're being treated so poorly here. Like, we are not being given like enough cigarettes. Like, you know, we're only getting this much brandy a night. Like, my pillows have not been changed once. Like, and what he, what he said to this Ameri- this OSS officer was, uh, uh, 
are you here to see about our accommodations or about like the Geneva conventions? But again, it's just fucking insane. And the dude being intelligent just said, yes, I am. And what he found was, he's like, tell me about your grievances. As the Nazis would tell him this, what they loved doing was, was gossiping and they loved selling each other out. That's the thing is they say like, hey, look, like I didn't do anything. I just I designed the rockets. But see that guy two halls down. They would say like, you should kill him straight up. But they would all say it about each other. The whole place is bugged. Um, everything, every tree, every they would they would put him in cars and black out the windows and they drive him like around the same town for three hours and they'd take him out in a field and be like, you're at this resort. And all the Nazis would be like, ah, we're at a resort now. They like, ah, we got, you know, like wrapping a bottle of water in Fiji. It was just superficial. But the but these fucking retarded crowds fell for it. But this is how, so the guy would get him pillows or like more soap or lather or like a fresh razor or something. And we're going way off topic. The point is, is we found that we had to bring him back. And just like when you when the, he opens the door and he sees the Nazi instead of shooting him in the face, instead he says, yes, I am here to see about your provisions and caretaking. Um, the, let me check the emails. Do I have the wrong day and time? No response, man. Guess not. Um, <clears throat> so instead of just opening the door and shooting him, it was, you know, let's see. It's like when you, when they, when we, I think when we had cracked, when we cracked the enigma, was it? We couldn't act on the fact that we cracked the enigma. It's parallel construction. You can't, like, Trump tweeting a picture from one of our satellites at the Iranian base, and it was like, no, you're... I mean, it's not new that we have satellites, but it's like you're supposed to, like, purposely, like, compress the images so they don't know the resolution. And you can't you can't burn your sources and methods and because it can lead to a greater good. So, like, with the Enigma code, we now knew when they were going to attack allied liberty ships or, or you know, bomb supply routes or something. But if we started uh, preventing all those attacks and nipping them in the bud, sure, it's great when we save American lives. But what the Nazis are going to realize is, oh, they've got us figured out. Change the cipher. We got to change the encryption. And then, and then maybe you blocked ten attacks that would have saved a thousand American lives. But now the Nazis have have went back into the shadows, made a deeper encryption, and now they're going to be able to kill another 100,000 Americans. Versus if you let these 10 attacks go through, the Nazis, they're going to think they're still hiding in the shadows. But then we can, we can, we can map the network even deeper, then we can cut them off, and now we can save 99,000 lives. It's Man, it, it's a cold calculus, and it's uh, it's I don't make those decisions clearly. Not that anyone was uh, was confused whether or not me sitting in my makeshift anechoic chamber in an Alex Jones hoodie thought otherwise. Um, but so the idea was like, so what was the importance of the rockets? Like, like why do we really need the Nazis that much? Like, is this something 
Apparently, we thought that the Nazis were something like 20 years ahead of our best efforts at rocketry. So as, whereas, whereas we aced the atomic bomb and the, the Germans didn't even really get past like heavy water, deuterium water, the inverse was true for rockets. They had just, we had nothing like this. And we legitimately thought they were like 20 years ahead of where we were. And we knew it was not going to be long before the Soviets uh, detonated an atomic bomb. And it was even sooner than that because they had spies within uh, within the Manhattan Project, Klaus Fuchs and, uh, the, was it the, was it the Rosens, the Rosenbergs? I know, I know Klaus Fuchs was one of them who came from MI6, I think, who himself was an agent to the... The point is, is kind of like the meta of video games. They just kind of zoomed out enough. So it was like, what's the big picture? The big picture is, well, now with A-bombs, you know, with massive waves of bombers, one always got through. So you knew you were going to lose a lot. You just threw them all at them. Well, now with A-bombs instead of dumb bombs, now the fact that only one got through meant something a lot different. It used to be one got through and say you'd, you'd hit a couple of the targets because you really just kind of dumping bombs out the back versus an A-bomb, only one needs to get through. It'd be like a, it'd be like if I had an Olympic swimming pool of gasoline and like a hundred of, of you listeners were a hundred yards away and you all had flaming arrows and you shot them at me. And like I had a wall of sprinklers. I would, I would get a lot of them. Some of yours would get through. Now, pre-A-bomb, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pool of gasoline. It was individual piles of, of hay separated by dirt. You could say that those were different warehouses, different factories, different whatever. You'd get a couple of them. The more you got through, the better. You're always going to get at least one. I'm never going to stop 100%. It's diminishing returns. I can't get a wall of water. The amount of effort that would go into it would be resources better spent somewhere else. Inversely, you're never going to get 100% through. I'm, you can't. Again, it's diminishing returns. You might miss the haystack, you might not, but that's the reason why you throw 100 flaming arrows at the haystack separated by dirt, unflammable dirt, that you might hit one of them. Well, now with the A-bomb, it was, well, let's, let's just use the same analogy. It's the same haystacks, but the entire thing is just coated with gasoline. The dirt is soaked with gasoline. It's all one thing. You just got to hit one. And... The A-bomb being, you just have to get one through, and the, the, the CEP, the circular error probable, the radius of the blast wave, the thermal pulse, the radiation, the shock wave, it's going to destroy all of it. So that was like the big, big picture. It wasn't columns of tanks. I mean, that all was tanks, D-Day invasions, but the, the, it shifted entirely to the new thing was we have an A-bomb. Like we can now exert so much power with just one B-29. Um, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> this is the tripod for the new camera. Obviously, I'm not using it. Not important. So, when you zoom out and look at all of it, it was now you just need one to get through, right? So, let's break it down. Is it is it... Is it amphibious invasions? Is it 
Is it using Patton's inflatable tanks? Is it... No, no, no. Is it the OSS? Is it sabotage? Is it surveillance? Is it reconnaissance? The big, big picture, the thing that ended the war, the thing that offset the mainland invasion of Japan, is one plane with one bomb. Now there are tailors, there are scientific planes, but it changes, the dynamic changes entirely, right? Like right now, I do an episode every day. I get a lot, I have a lot of repeat guests. I'm always getting different guests. I never know if they're going to work. I never know, never know if the guests are going to show up. I never know if it's going to be a good episode. But I'm trying to build this thing up versus like maybe you get to a Joe Rogan level. Now, granted, he's a bad example because he does them every day. But let's say Rogan didn't. Let's say he did one episode a month. But it was just a killer episode. It was it was with President Biden or it was with Michael Jordan and fucking Tommy Chong or whatever. Like the dynamic changes entirely. And as we had, didn't we, if he had something like 8 million, I want to say that's correct, from Richard Rhodes' Dark Sun, we had something like 8 million servicemen overseas. It changes the supply lines, the logistics entirely. And Eisenhower saw that as the logis, logistician magician. Did I just make that up? I think I did. Shout out, Ike. Is you now need such a small thing to enact such a large amount of force that could end a fucking war. I mean, we're going island hopping from Iwo Jima to Guadalcanal to Okinawa to Pela... Pela I always fuck this up. Pelaliu. Pelaliu? Pelaliu? It changes so much, right? It's, it's the dumb bombs versus the J-Dam. It's the covering fire versus the computer-guided sniper rifle. It changes entirely. Now, what does this have to do with the Q loophole? Shut the fuck up and listen. We have the A-bomb. But now it's about, well, eventually we're not going to have this monopoly forever. The Soviets are going to figure it out as well. To where they just need one plane to get through. So now it kind of cancels out, right? The Chrysler building going up to 1,047 feet we are at a thousand feet now. You could say a thousand feet is the atomic age. But just like that, the Empire State Building goes up at 1,250 feet. And now it's like it changes the game forever for a little bit until everything raises that high. And now it's just the new line, right? It's like you could, like whoever the first six foot NBA player was, who was the first six one, six two, to the point where now it's like you can't even like get, you can't even like play a, you can't even get in for 30 seconds on an MB or on a college team if you're under six, whatever, right? So it raises the bar some or, or technology. It's in 2005, you could say it has a touchscreen, and that was a huge selling point. I mean, you had the iPod Touch. Now, if you tried to say, well, it's got a touchscreen, it'd be like, and the car has an air conditioner. It's like, dog, we got self driving electric cars now. You're like, you got to trade something off, or you have to bring more to the table. This hard drive's got a whole 30 gigabytes. And it's like, dude, I got 100 terabytes right here. So as the whole playing field rises up to where you just need to get one flaming arrow through, what changes then? Well, two things change. Two things in the variables. It's So we'll break it down to its most constituent pieces. What is it? Weapon delivery system. So you have two variables. I guess you could say weapon multiplied by delivery system 
equals threat or whatever. You could say weapon divided by delivery time equals threat, right? It's a smaller bot, smaller number on the bottom, bigger threat. So there's two variables you can change. You can do what? What's the first one? You can up the atomic bomb to the hydrogen bomb, which we knew was theoretically possible before World War II even ended. But before we even detonated Trinity, we knew that that was possible, which led to the hydrogen bomb, right? Edward Teller, the evil thing, uh, Castle Bravo, Ivy Mike, the thermos bottle, all that good shit. Uh, Dark Sun by Richard M. Rhodes, fantastic book on the hydrogen bomb. But then the other thing is delivery time. Now we could get supersonic bombers, sure. We could we could maintain bases overseas, which we did, like bought and paid for with American lives, so we kept them, we still have them, Okinawa. But what is the next big one? What is it? Ding, 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 he got it right. Fucking rockets. Rockets, which, again, it seems old now, but back then that was as high-tech as, like, orbital laser systems. Like, you have to look at it like that. You have to look at it as, like... If we found out China had a military base on the moon, we'd be like, dude, we need to be there now. Like Belt and Road Initiative, right? You, the the 5G threat from them owning the backbone all over the third world. Like, right? we see that. Um, and you see the Biden administration uh, pivoting and, and, and making a stance against that with this uh, Pacific Deterrence Initiative, right? Pacific PDI. And, um, and they, they call it the Build Back Better. And that's our that's us posturing against the chinese belt and road initiative which is you build a bunch of infrastructure for the third world knowing that that they can't pay it back and you say hey don't worry about it we're going to control the infrastructure let us put a a navy port here or an air force base and we'll call it even and thus they can posture all around the globe so we fight back with the build back better initiative and i know all of my conservative friends and listeners even though i'm conservative myself so you're gonna say why the fuck are you giving biden any credit Side note, because we're not going to get anywhere if we just going to draw lines in the sand and dig in like trench warfare, like Verdun or the Somme or whatever, and pretend that it's just going to end that way. We saw what happened with World War One. A bunch of people died, mustard gas, and Hitler came out of it. Nothing good came out of it, right? So do have to give credit where credit's due. The Pacific Deterrence Initiative is fantastic. In the build back better, I don't, I can't claim to know what all about domestically it is, but in terms of the global initiative, it is a much needed counter to the Belt and Road Initiative. That is, that's just, that's a fact. That's just, I was arguing for it last summer, episode uh, one, shit, what was it? 161? Yeah, 161 um, with uh, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, and I'll argue it now when Trump's out of office and Biden's in office. Those are objectively good things, but not important. It's rockets, all right? We need rockets. And so you can see now the importance of all of this. It's not just, let's bring back the Nazis. And it's like, dude, what the fuck? Shoot them and kill them all. Like, but, but what are you doing? When you break it down into everything I just said, which we can say just kind of loosely, but which was highly, highly classified then, is you see just how important it is to get the rockets, right? So, <clears throat> when you frame it like that, right? When you frame it like that and you want to hedge your bets, sure, we have the A-bomb now. We know we're not going to have a monopoly. 
let's start working on the rockets. And we know the Soviets got some of the rocket scientists, so we need to get them too. When all of a sudden, World War II, where these, these tidal waves of, of iron and flesh are attacking each other, are now being... It's like having everyone vote versus like having like a, 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 a democratic republic where we have representatives. All of a sudden, these mountains of men, these World War One, World War Two, these columns of tanks, all of a sudden, these are all encapsulated as one plane, one bomb. The dynamic completely changes. So, just like when you're looking at the tax rate on... I don't know, like the GDP or the American debt, you know, if you shift a thousandth of a decimal place on my bank interest, all right, maybe after 10 years, I'll be able to buy an additional piece of Trident gum. When you multiply it on like a COVID relief package, I mean, a millimeter here, a millimeter there, it'd be, that's it's like a telescope looking out at a distant star. I mean, you knock a sniper rifle a little bit to the left, maybe you jump you know, two or three feet due to a star, you just like that, you're jumping the width of our solar system. So any small tweak you can make in that variable is massive, right? So that's what we need with the rocket. So you can break the rocket, the, that, that denominator variable, you can break that down into pieces. One is the technology, the actual pieces, right? The, the, you know, the, the, pieces of metal, the metallurgy, the science behind it, what is it, how much does it weigh, panels, blah, 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 rocket fuel, the next is blueprints, and but the next is also the minds of people who know how to use it. So instead of, right, it's great to reverse engineer a UFO, but you're going to want to capture one of those little aliens too and be like, tell me how it's done, right? I don't know why that's, I don't know why the guy interrogating a member of, a, of another species, all of a sudden, it's just kind of like this like, horny guy. Tell me how it's done, little gray man. <sighs> Why isn't this podcast sponsored? Why don't we have ads? I don't know, Tommy. The panel's falling down. This whole studio is just a house of cards on top of a seesaw in a hurricane. It's just, it's the whole thing is just barely hanging together. But we do have a fire extinguisher. I'm not sure how that will help us, but... So... Blueprints, actual pieces of equipment. Third is the mines, M-I-N-D-S, the mines that built them. So yes, you have to bring them back. That is a huge part of it. And it's these goddamn Nazis, and it's, I mean, it's reprehensible to think about it now. Imagine like, imagine like 1947, it's two years. I mean, 9-11 is 20 years in the rearview mirror. Imagine World War II with the concentration camps. Imagine that being two years in the rearview mirror. I mean, so we brought him back. And it was seen as national security. But then, as with anything, this is why we can't have nice things. There are favors within it. Early on, it's we need these Nazis, and we finally, we finally, like, all right, all right, you can bring some. Well, that very quickly spiraled into, well, we need the guys that worked under them, and we need the guys that worked under them, and to get them, now we have to make these deals where it's, 
all right, you gotta bring their family, you gotta, and it spirals off to where we had Paperclip, and I think we had, I think the subsequent programs were called like Paperclip 2 or Paperclip 3, I'm not entirely sure about that. I know one of the uh, subsequent Paperclip programs was called Accelerated Paperclip. And what what started as like 10, went to 100, went to 1,500, eventually went to like 33,000. We brought them all back here. And it was, the Soviets took them and they put them in these camps and they didn't really get shit done and it was so compartmentalized that they were kind of just a waste of the Soviets, I imagine, just killed them. When we brought them back here, we found that they weren't necessarily working hard because if you felt like prisoners, and you are prisoners, you Nazis, you got to think of that variable, that denominator. This is one of those sub-variables. Well, what do they need to be happy? All right, well, you got to stay on this, like, compounds, but so they built them big houses. They made sure they had, like, catering. They made sure their kids went to school. I mean, it really was a deal with the devil. And, I mean... I mean, you can only imagine how many generals or admirals, like, found out about this and were like, I'm going to go there now and fucking kill them. Well, why do you want to kill them? Because they killed my men. All right, well, by having them here, we are preventing a much greater number of your men being killed. So the very anger that's driving you to want to murder them is driven by the thing that having them not murdered is preventing. It's this, it's this demonic, circular kind of calculus, but... <sighs> hey, man... That's that's what it was. Now with George George Webb's book, The Q Loophole, it's all about we're well how did these things because it started with rockets and then it went into chemical weapons and then it went to biological weapons and then we started bringing in some of the Japanese from Unit 731 and then as I believe he argues there started to be some kind of like favors like alright how about uh CIA is like, well, we want these, why dismantle these these German intelligence networks? Let's use them. So you maintain them, you know, Klaus, and in turn, you know, we'll give you a spot back at the United States. You can work at a university. I mean, it's demonic, but is it for the greater good? And I don't know. I would argue yes. That's a tough pill to swallow, but... And you can see what happened in the subsequent years, right? ICBMs, thermonuclear warheads, the entire cold fucking war, right? Raven Rock, bunkers, contingency plans, kneecap, night watch, looking glass. I mean, excuse me. You can see where it all went. I don't know. I think you could argue that it was worth it. But the argument Mr. Webb makes, I believe, is that we didn't, it's almost like we opened a portal and then we didn't close it. Like, we didn't just get what we needed. We're just going to run to the liquor store real quick and just get a bottle of booze so the park can keep going. Well, while we're here, why don't we get some pizza? Why don't we, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, right? And it blossoms into this thing. What he argues were these these ports, not well, in some cases literal, but in some cases metaphorical, were these holes where Nazis came in, and how did that grow over the years? And because it's all clandestine, 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 
because it's all secret, because you can hide it behind the classified TSSCI, ESI, SAP, well then you can start doing other shit because who watches the Watchmen? And his argument, Mr. Webb's argument in the Q loophole was, uh, was that a lot of Nazis ended up coming through here over the years. We brought them here and then, which is kind of the case of uh, Captain America, I forget which one, where uh, they say that uh, Hydra, which is which is the fictional but kind of representation of you'd say like the SS or the Ananurba Society, is that once they came back here, as he says in the movie, Zola says he's like a beautiful virus. Once they came back here and they got up into the upper echelons of the military-industrial complex, which is what we brought them back for. Remember, not everyone knew about rockets. It was all classified. But when it's hidden behind the cloak, you can do whatever you want because it's all plausibly denied. Well, eventually, human corruption, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. What else did they go into? And who the fuck's checking on them? Because it's a labyrinth. Of, of shadows and cloaks and secrecy and, and pawns and shells and umbrellas. Did they then infiltrate the highest rungs of obviously not elected positions, but in the intelligence community, in the classified programs? Did we bring them back here and become infected? Did they seep their vines, their roots into our systems, did the Fourth Reich rise inside of the United States? That's his argument. And it's one of my favorite favorite conspiracies. It's the sexiest. And then you could argue now in 2021, does it does it matter? I mean, are they all fucking dead? Did they pass on their teachings or opinions? We don't know. But I mean, goddamn... You know, if you're undercover, do you really, do you wear your flag on your shoulder or do you stay undercover? Maybe their biggest mistake was calling themselves the Third Reich. Like, you're supposed to have a low, low profile PR campaign. So what would you do? You would slip into the United States. You would hide behind the flag and the Statue of Liberty. I mean, that's all speculation. But all the constituent pieces are fact. Uh, I mean, that's insane. And it's completely plausible. Who knows? Did the did they take over the Soviet Union? Was the Soviets versus the U.S.? Was that Cold War? Was that all a facade? Was it just Nazis, quote-unquote, fighting Nazis... And in all reality, they were establishing the, what was it right, the Teutonic uh, Global Reich. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Can that get passed on? Or does the same laws of, like, a spoiled child not working hard to become the same CEO as dad is, did uh, Klaus Jr. go, like, I don't want to be a Nazi, and did he go to fucking, I don't know, you go to Ohio State and just drink beer and, you know, join a fraternity. Who knows? Or was the was the structure uh, built in? And it's, it's an easy conspiracy to say because 
you know, you, you say, where's the evidence? And you say, well, there, there is none. You only have them coming back here with Operation Paperclip, then it goes dark because they're hiding in the shadows. Sure. That's also sort of a, it's an easy conspiracy to put forward because you've now established that there can be no evidence, and thus it could be anything. There are reptilians in the world who are covered as shape-shifting humans. Where's the evidence? Well, that's the thing is their disguises are perfect. They look like humans. Okay, so am I one? Are you one? And if you say I'm not, how the fuck do you know? My disguise is perfect. So, yeah, but, I mean... What Zola says in Captain America is um is they came back here they infiltrated the CIA and they've been uh sowing conflict all over the globe ever since I mean have we not been doing a lot of war for a long time do we not have our tentacles wrapped around the world base nation by David Vine the generals have no clothes by Will Arkin you know, it's a, it's an uncomfortable thing, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, did I just like fuck up the date? Is he not coming? Well, hope everything's all right. I mean, green check is Mr. George Webb. Hmm. Well, he tweeted 28 minutes ago. I mean... I mean, he's been on here before. Like, we've talked before. You can only guess there was miscommunication. Maybe I gave him the wrong date. I don't know. Um, point is, it's a very interesting book. Um, it's legitimate, it's, it's, it, it's, it, I mean, it's like a 10 minute read. It's kind of, I don't know if it's a, technically a book. It's interesting, but there's a lot of things that you can go down. I would go down Operation Paperclip by Annie Jacobson. That's a fantastic audio book. It'll scale, scare the socks off you. And, um, to learn more about, I would say read Ghost by Jefferson Morley about James G. Sangleton, the head of CIA counterintelligence, who... May or may not have helped some of these Nazis. We don't know. Um, a book I haven't read, but I know I showed is The Devil's Chessboard. And, um, yeah, but, uh, I mean, the Silver Vogel was the precursor to the X 20 dinosaur, D Y N A S O A R, which was the precursor to the space shuttle. I mean, look, dude, they're a Nazi. I mean, I mean, I don't even need to bring up that, that kind of loose one. Werner von Braun was a fucking Nazi and got us to the moon, was the head of the Apollo program, is there's photos of him just chummy-chummy it up with JFK and LeMay. I mean, you see LeMay, JFK, and Von Braun all sitting there with, like, with like Ray-Bans on smoking cigars, and it's like, huh? I mean, that, there's, like, yeah, there's, like, a black-and-white image of that, and it looks like Call of Duty's, Call of, du Call of Duty's, it looks like, Call, it looks like, uh, zombies when they're all in the Pentagon, and, uh, yeah. It, who knows, man? 
reality stranger than fiction hope those panels aren't falling off nope they're not but um hope you guys enjoyed it and um as always thanks for being here thanks for supporting the podcast thanks for making my dream come true and um yeah take it easy my dudes recording stop